This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, First Wave, Season 1, Episodes 20 and 22. That kid was wearing headphones. Is he listening to Sonic War? Yeah? So what? You think that's what made him go berserk? I don't know! Well, I think you do, dude. The music is freaky. Define freaky. It's like a rush. It makes you want to tear someone's head off. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast trapped in a quantum pocket dimension. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? You know, I wrote something down for what's real, because uh, as I'm taking my notes and I, I hear a funny line, I'll write it down. And I wrote this line down, and I don't actually remember what it was now. And it, I don't know who said it. I'm assuming Cade. It was, you mess with me, you mess with your life. Do you remember what that line was? No, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. Anyways, I wrote it down. At one point, it tickled me. You mess with me, you mess with your life. Yeah, maybe an alien said it. I guess so. I don't know. What, I'm trying to think of these two episodes and can't figure out where it would even happen. I know. As I literally, as I, as we just about to start recording, I pulled up my notes. I'm like, what was that? I don't even remember. Anyways, <laughs> you mess with me, you mess with your life. That's all I have to say. Well, that's true for you. You are you always saying that to people, Jordan. <laughs> I am all the time. Mailman, he comes up. I'm like, you mess with me, you mess with your life. <laughs> <laughs> says here's your christmas card sir <laughs> that's right yeah i'm like yeah take that small town charm and get out of here <laughs> well jordan before we get into it this week uh i thought i'd do a little bit of background on the creator of first wave mm-hmm. and of course uh, play a little game of echo oh no i know and, and I t- i'll tell you exactly what echo stands for emmy uh, canadian award uh is it echo yeah, yeah, it was typical spelling of Echo. I didn't know. I didn't. I couldn't remember if it was like a like a just something else. Um, Oscar and oh, maybe a K in there. Yeah, E C. Yeah. Well, what's the H then? Hugo. Oh, Hugo. I was gonna say Hollywood star. <laughs> One of these times I'll get it. No, Hugo's because it's a science fiction podcast. <laughs> That's right. I, sorry, Hugo's. I always forget about you. <laughs> As everyone else does too. Oh, poor Hugo. Poor Hugo's. You're never going to want a Hugo this way, Jordan. (laughs) I don't think we were up anyways. Well, let's start with the uh, creator first wave. See if I can pronounce his name. Chris Brancato. Oh, is that it? Yeah, is that the name? Chris Brancato. Okay. Um, he's an interesting guy, actually. I kind of looked at his uh, resume, and I'm like, well, he's, he's done some work. He got his start uh, doing Beverly Hills 90210, but then also, like, wrote an episode or co-wrote an episode of The X-Files and wrote the sequel to Species, Species 2. Ooh, Species 2. I had a friend in, uh, I guess it was grade school at the time, and he came to school very excited because he saw Species 2, and he told us it was much better than the first. And then another another friend was like, they got like a real argument about it, how there's no way it was better than the first one. And I just, I just watched it. I just watched the fight. I didn't see neither of them. You ever seen Species? I don't think I've seen either of those. No, I've definitely seen Species. Definitely not Species 2, though. I don't think anyone thinks it's better than the first one. (laughs) Maybe Natasha Hentridge judges. Is she in? She's not in the second one. I don't know. I I was just guessing. I'm definitely sure she did not come back for the sequel. Oh, you think she was too big for the sequel? 
You think she's too big a star? I think the sequel is direct to DVD or maybe even VHS. I, I'm going to say no. I haven't seen it. There's no way she was big enough to start to say no to it. I bet everyone else didn't come back, but she did. I bet you any money she's not in it. How much you want to bet right now? Uh, 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is live. Luke's looking at <laughs> I'm going to look it up. I'll pull up my phone. I'm opening up uh, IMDb. Yeah. IMDb. The listeners at home, they know the answer. They're screaming it right now. They're like, yeah. Species they're 2 like, is better than Species 1. And wh- they're like, one of these guys is rich now. Uh, uh, oh, I do owe you $50, Jordan. Oh, she's in it. She is with Michael Madison. Ooh, yeah. That's a cast. I can't wait to spend the money. One time when I was a kid, I found $5 and I bought five chocolate bars. And that was a great day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go buy. F- I'm going to buy 50 chocolate bars. I take it back now, Jordan. I actually think it is a better movie. James Cromwell's in it, too. <laughs> is he? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's in this movie. Apparently, it is a better movie. So, Francis was right. Francis was right. Call him up. Get him on the line. You know what's weird? Uh, uh, this is just for you and me. This is the second time. I haven't thought of this guy, Francis, in 30 years. It's the second time he's come up this week. We were. I was talking <laughs> to an old friend of mine, and he came up, too, about shoplifting. Anyways, that's not what he called. Ser- it's just serendipity, Jordan. <laughs> I guess so. Well, watch your mailbox for that 50 bucks. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Just add it to the tab. Anyway, getting back to old Chris uh, Brancato. Mm-hmm. He uh, obviously had humble beginnings before he got into uh, First Wave. So, you know, some script editing and a couple episodes, 90210. Then did co-wrote an X-Files episode. Then he gets this. So, you know, really blowing up. He's got First Wave going. But you'll never guess what he's been up to recently um has he is it in film he's still working he's still working um maybe he's just like i'm gonna guess he's working uh he's working as like an editor he is the creator of netflix's narcos oh wow so a wealthy wealthy man now oh good for him yeah you know what he uh he worked his way through the trenches through first wave that's true. He got he got his first series made up on old Toronto or Vancouver, probably not Toronto. It must be Vancouver, yeah. And look at him now, Netflix series is yeah. many series is. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for him. They got like three narcos, right? I have no idea. I've never seen it, but I think you're right. I think there's at least two. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't for me. It didn't have it didn't have a uh, Cade Foster, so I wasn't interested. <laughs> It'd be great if there was a guy named Cade Foster in it. We didn't know. <laughs> yeah, or or it's actually the same actor. He just puts him. He's in that character in the Narcos world. So it does. You're like, hold on, this is part of the same shared universe. Yeah, it's part of the first wave universe. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously there's a couple executive producers involved with the show. Uh, one we mentioned last week, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you could you could tell he's got his fingers on it. I say that jokingly. You can't tell. I did my best to figure out his involvement in this show, and I really couldn't find anything about how or why. It's it's impossible to say. I think it maybe the other executive producer, a guy named Larry Sugar. He uh he's like a longtime executive at studios who became a producer. He like worked at like Warner Brothers and Fox and CBS in a variety of roles before settling down in Vancouver and starting to be a producer for of like, you know service productions in vancouver i think and then a few originals like this um so i wonder if maybe they knew each other from the studio days so he got him to like slap his name on it but i have i cannot figure out how francis ford coppola got involved right but but you know what they get to put his name right at the end of the credits there so 
there's a variety article like raving about the show and really being like francis ford coppola does it again (laughs) (laughs) the godfather the conversation uh what else did he make one one to the heart and first wave (laughs) yeah so it was these two sort of eps who were on it who i feel like if francis ford coppola probably wasn't super involved i feel like larry sugar definitely kind of spearheaded this he feels like based on his resume of like vancouver produced shows he probably was the guy who made this happen up in uh vancouver and also makes sense that he'd have an la writer he like brought up with him and sort of how he set it up so right sugar sounds familiar i I feel like we've maybe have come across him before but maybe not i don't know i mean it seems like he's been at it a long time so we we may have just watched his work in some other capacity in our free time maybe classic sugar but now that you know a little bit about the creators, so you know a little bit about uh, Brancato and that he mm-hmm. really made it after First Wave. He, he's been doing well since then. You know all about Francis Ford Coppola. And I've teased you a little bit about the background of uh, old Larry Sugar. So at least that gives you some insight into the Echo game we're about to play. I forgot we were playing. Sorry. Let's do it. You fell, you fell back asleep midway. <laughs> No, I just it was it, you. You were giving us all this information. I just forgot it was in, involved in a game. But let's do it. I'm ready to go. All right, Jordan. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you four categories: Emmy, mm-hmm. Canadian Award, any Canadian Award, mm-hmm. Hugo, and Oscar. And you're going to tell me how many you think the creative team behind the show won, and that includes obviously the creator and the EPs, but also the writers and directors who worked on the show. We're not going to bring the cast into this. We're just going to focus on sort of that as the the creative force behind the show, behind the camera. Let's do it. All right, Jordan. How many Emmys do you think the team behind First Wave won? Uh, I think there's probably enough people on this. I bet it won uh, uh, the people involved. I think they've won two Emmys. Oh, you're close. It's one Emmy. One Emmy. Uh, Who won that? Now, one of the directors won for 24 Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Remember 24? That was on forever. Remember when that was a big show? I do remember when that was a big show. Yeah, yeah. It was quite this thing. One <laughs> show? It's an hour a day? Oh, my God. Yeah. It, it was exactly what people wanted at that time. Hey, man. This is what we all want. A little torture. A little... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sort of. Um, okay, cool. All right, Jordan. Now, how many Canadian awards do you think the creative team behind this has won? The Canadian awards... I have a feeling, you know, I'm gonna, I'm still going to say zero. Zero awards. Well, Jordan, it was 35. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I wasn't even close. 35 awards. One director has eight of those, and one writer has eight of those as well. That writer wrote, won five of them for Due South. Oh, wow. Due South. And then there are a few, like... There are a few little, like, I pulled out a few cherries out of this, like, 35 people who have, like, or 35 yeah. awards won by all the people involved. Um, the awards aren't important for this guy, but one of the directors of First Wave is Sean Levy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Who later in his career would become a director on um, Stranger Things and most recently direct the Ryan Reynolds movie for, uh, Free Guy, I believe it's called. Mm. He's gone on to be quite the, like, large-scale Hollywood director. Right, so that makes sense. So I was close. Instead of 35, I put zero. Yeah, you're close. And did you know one of the people also won an award for First Wave? Oh, really? Yeah, I should have thought of that. I bet you First Wave. I mean, it was on long enough that it probably won something in Canada. It was weird, though. The It's a director who directed an episode. He won He won a, uh, what did he win? 
an, I don't know. I didn't even write that. Oh, it, it's a Leo award. He won a Leo award, but he won it for editing. Hmm. I don't even know what that award is. I think it's a Vancouver uh, or BC award. Mm, interesting. Well, good for him. And then finally, I, one last director I wanted to bring up, Jordan, or writer, I apologize. One last writer I wanted to bring up. Uh, he has also won a Leo Award, not for First Wave, though, but it is uh, Rob LaBelle, the actor, Crazy Eddie himself, who wrote an episode of First Oh, Wave. and he won, he won an award for it, huh? No, no, he won an award for Motive much later. Mm. Mm. Well, again, kudos. Kudos, Crazy Eddie. It's a lot, of, a lot of awards have been won for uh, Canadian and Canada for this show. <laughs> not for this show, but by this show. I have a feeling that's the largest category of wins is the Canadian Awards. No, well, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. How many Hugo Awards do you think this uh, creative team has won? Again, I'm going to go with one. It is zero this time. It's zero. It's zero. Francis Ford Coppola was nominated for Dracula, but he did not win. Mm, yeah. I think Dracula is a little bit misunderstood. Not enough uh keanu reeves for people's tastes yeah yeah i mean that's a problem but regardless <laughs> poor I, he's doing fine too all right jordan final category how many yeah. oscars has the creative team behind this one? Oof. i mean coppola alone won one for writing Patton. he won for the godfather godfather 2 um i think that's all he won i'm just gonna stick with him and say he won three he has won six Oscars. Six Oscars. Although one might be a bit of a, a hit or miss, but he's listed as winning an Oscar in 2011. He won the Irvin G. Thielberg Memorial Award. Oh. Oh, I don't remember that. That's a award for creative producers. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Let's give it to him. He hasn't had one in a while. He won it. He won it, so there you go. <laughs> wow, he's won that many, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for Godfather 2, I think he, like, swept. He got producer, writer, and director. Right, 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 right. I kind of forgot that it was multiple in, in one movie. You can win a lot if you make Godfather 2, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you make Godfather 2, you also could win a lot of Oscars. But those are the... That's Echo, Jordan. Quite a few awards on this show. Probably the most we've ever had doing this game. Well, that Canadian award really took it over to the top. We've never had that many. No, I mean, we've done Canadian shows before, too. And, like, I was just, like, had everyone who did worked on the show at some point got, a, got an award. We just, if you worked on First Wave, you got an award at some point in your life. Well, that's just a tease for how good this show is for the person listening right now. No, I know, right? With that kind of talent, that kind yeah. of Canadian talent. Well, that kind of Canadian talent, don't you want to hear about Season 1, Episode 20, Melody? Honestly, you know what this means, Jordan? It's just more embarrassing that we'll never win an award in Canada. Mm, no, no, I think if we go long enough, we're, we're bound to win one. Feels like they just hand him out like candy, according to that game. <laughs> we're going to get one. Don't worry, Luke. I know that's what we're in this for. The money and the awards and the esteem. Yeah, definitely the awards. Yeah. You got all that room and that mantle behind you. <laughs> it's empty, though. Yeah, you got that room. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jordan. Here's the IMDb summary for season one, episode 20, Melody. Two police officers are beaten up at a rock concert by a frenzied crowd. Foster suspects Gua involvement. And investigates the band. Is there a reason the fans went wild? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something, and I don't know. I think they say it maybe in this episode. But it's uh, if it's not in this episode, it's the next one anyways, where we get the name of the aliens. I think it's I think it was just Gua. It's written down as G-U-A, so I could never remember how to write it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Gua. But, uh, which is, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know if that's a great name for an alien. It's fine. 
What is it going to be? It's fine, but like, it's not like it's not a Wookie. It's not. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's not quite as uh, as interesting. But sure, Gua. Uh, hey, let me start with this. Um, uh, this band, uh, Sonic War. We're gonna uh, uh, see see a lot of this band. Yeah, let's let's get right into Sonic War right now. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Sonic War. I want to buy their stuff. I won't lie. I was shocked by how they managed to capture the sound of music at this period. It's dead on the money. Yeah, it's you know what? It's not bad. They've done they've done a really good job. Where yeah, it's it just it's the most authentic thing in this show is how decent this band is. We've watched so many shows with musical acts at this point that I I truly was in shock. That I'm just like, oh, it's like somebody understands literally the music of 1998 and replicated it perfectly to the point where it's just like I I would have listened to this if it were 1998. <laughs> yeah, I so I, yeah, it's it's it could at one point I was like, is this an actual band? I I'm like 99.9% sure it's not, but it it could well have been. It's it's that good. So you got to give a point to uh to old uh, first wave for how good Sonic War is. Sonic War, Sonic War. I tried to look into it too. It's all actors in the band, so we know the band is not the actors, and then there's no credit for them. And I tried to Shazam a song, and it didn't come up with anything. And I'm like, maybe they just wrote it for the show. <laughs> I think they did. I think just whoever was doing the music, whoever wrote the music, just did really understood the assignment did a really good job and like they did like three maybe four full songs I know. that happened in the show <laughs> you know you remember remember we watched that show where the uh the family went like uh i don't know i think they were in egypt or something and they accidentally got into a time portal and it sent them all around the world remember that you mean they dimensions? went to some sort of other world jordan <laughs> that's right <laughs> other world and you remember there was an episode of other world where the two of them became like record stars yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would that sucked. But they only played other people's music. <laughs> that's right. That's what that's what my point was. It sucked, and they only played like old songs from like the fifties, and then people were going nuts. But not Sonic War. They do all real, original, authentic music. I can't remember when we watched Otherworld. Was it before or after they made the movie with that exact same premise, where a man invents the Beatles in a world where the Beatles don't exist? Oh, uh, that was. I think that was before. Okay. Before. Yeah, same idea though. I later thought about it. I'm just like, is that episode the same as that movie? I'm like, I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's exactly the same. Anyway, Sonic War. It's headed by a lead singer named Kat. She's she's from the sticks, but she's got the talent. She's come up. And as her manager yeah. says, angry chicks sell tickets, Jordan. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's in my wheelhouse. I did like, though, there's this real sense, and I believe they call them rage rockers at some point. Or, uh, that's kind of the implications. That, like, you go, you mosh, you get really, like, h- hyped up about it. I wouldn't say their music's that raging. <laughs> I agree. That, that, yeah, not to take anything away from Sonic War, because as I've said, I'm a, I'm a big warhead. Um, that's what their fans are. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the music is like, they're like, it's so aggressive. It's really not that aggressive. Uh, again, it's like what you would hear on radio in the mid '90s. But uh, uh, I like that even later on, which it'll be a plot point. But she'll play like a slower song, and he's like, and then one guy's like, "No, like I play your heavier stuff. It's barely any different than their heavy stuff. Like they're like her light song and their heavy song. They're pretty much the exact same." I did notice that too. I'm just like, this is not a change in tone at all. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not like she sat down a stool and pulled out an acoustic guitar. It's just like, yeah, it's like one verse wasn't uh, didn't have drums. That said, I will admit that uh, from 1998 on into the 2000s, you couldn't go to any rock show without a mosh pit, whether it made sense or not. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it. I think it. I think it can allow, and it works in this show because it will become 
what this episode is about, which is this music and and kids' aggression and yeah. that sort of thing. So it, I think it works fine. It's, it's very authentic in that. I felt the mosh pits yeah. were authentic. I thought the music was authentic. I mean, you know, it, it, it felt authentic to the time. And, that, and that's what the opening scene is. We go to a club. We see this band, Sonic War, playing. We know it's Sonic War. I think it's written on their drum. And the crowd's loving it, like... The kids are going crazy and these cops show up and they're just basically they go to the guy at the door. and They're like, hey, we where's your permit for this? Because it's clearly like being set up in a not official venue. And they're like, oh, the, the permit's still in the way. And they're like, you, you can't play here now. I got to I got to shut it down. I do like, though, that the guy at the door is like, there's no drugs. and There's no alcohol here. Like, what's the big deal? And I was like, he does make a good point. <laughs> they're just having a, they're just having a good time. It's not hurting anybody. But anyways, the cops like, no, he's got to shut it down. The cops come in, but almost as soon as the cops get in there, um, things get very aggressive, and uh, they just the people start attacking the cops. Yeah, they beat them into a coma. Yeah, so not good. Not good. Not good. You mentioned the drum kit says the name of the band. Did you notice who the drummer was? Uh, who was that guy? That was a Canadian character actor, Tyler Labine. Yeah, I recognize his face, but I forgot to look it up. What was he in? He's just in, like, everything Canadian and a bunch of American stuff eventually, too. He just, like, is a guy with that face. I'm trying to think. Have you ever seen uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil? Like, one of oh, those kind of movies? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Him. Yeah. I, I saw his face. And I was like, he looks really familiar, and I just forgot to look it up. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a real Canadian character actor you notice right away. There's a bassist, but he's – I don't know who he is, and he's pretty generic, and he gets, like, pretty lost. He doesn't have anything to do in the episode, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's really he's he has like maybe two scenes, but the real major major characters are the drummer and the singer. And then of course there's their manager mm-hmm. who I was confused. I don't know much about music Jordan, so maybe you can tell me. Is it typical for the manager to also produce and mix all your work? Yeah, they they sort of that's the one thing on this episode. I I started writing notes about how it was all weird and inconsistent, but you're just like, "Uh, it's enough to like to just get you through where you got to be." But like a lot of this doesn't make sense. They're like in a studio, but they don't have a contract yet. They're recording this demo, but they have to do these shows. Like none of the stuff like is done in the right order and why he's doing all the stuff. He's doing everything because it's easier just to have one character as opposed to have like a music producer and a, and a studio engineer and a manager and a publicist. So they're just like, he does everything. You're like, all right, sure. Makes fair enough. Fair enough. It was yeah. also, I was like, this manager does a lot. Eh? Yeah, I know for, for which was spoiler for, for an alien undercover, he's really picked a really hard gig. It was very funny because very early on in the episode, like almost from the first scene, you're pretty suspicious he's the alien to the point where I'm like, are they like going to do a turn here and he's not the alien? And nope, that's the case. Yeah, you know, he, and he's going to stay that way. Yeah, because right off the bat, he's just he's always kind of like cloaked in shadows and always like looking around suspiciously. And you're like, he looks like he might be, I don't know, an alien wearing a human husk. <laughs> Oh, did you like that too? That they mentioned that this two. I think it's in the next episode as well. It's it's how do you say the alien name? Oh, a gua. Guas and guas wear human husks. I like they call them husks. That was a I good did piece too. Of, uh, content. Yeah, human husks. Anyway, back to the plot of the episode. This, of course, the beating of these cops. It, it brings Kay to Detroit because there's a Notre Dame quatrain that says, "Quote: Sweet youth cries revolt over a bitter melody." In the, I believe, I believe it goes on to say, in the city of Iron Chariots. And he's just like, Detroit? Music? I better go. <laughs> Honestly, they should just drop the whole Nostradamus stuff because it doesn't really work at all. It could just have well have been him and Eddie 
see a news report or read something in the newspaper and we're like, that seems sketchy. Or they're constantly looking through the news or like some sort of alternate media publication to try to find odd stories. That makes as much sense, actually more sense than some obscure passage from this like dope from the 1500s, you know? (laughs) I do like though that Kate comes to town and he poses a record executive and best name of a fake name you've ever heard he has kept calling him kenny Gaines. i'm like <laughs> kenny Gaines. look at yeah. Gaines. yeah 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 that's right and uh, one other quick question logistically how is Cade paying for all this do you think that was an episode we missed because he's lost his job oh uh, we can get we'll get into that next episode jordan oh okay okay but it is a good question i hadn't thought about it uh at all because <laughs> i don't think because i guess that doesn't bother me but uh, it is a good question how is he paying for all this yeah because he's flying around the world or at least at least the continental United States. <laughs> also Vancouver. I do like that he says, he like he goes, he meets the band. He's like, I'm Kenny Gaines. I'm a big record producer. I think he says he discovered Jane's Addiction and Guns N' Roses. Yeah, he did. No, he did. Yeah, he said uh, he said he uh, discovered Jane's Addiction. And then he said he uh, put together the Guns N' Roses reunion tour. And I was like, wait a minute. Guns N' Roses didn't re- get to a reunion until like years and years later. Like it wasn't that long ago. So is that them just foreshadowing? That Guns N' Roses would get back together? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I do think he yeah. said at some point, he's like, I found them at the Serpent Room in L.A. in the 80s. And I'm like, how old is he? <laughs> well, that's credibility. Anyway, obviously Sonic uh, Sonic Wars manager is not interested in this because he's an alien with other plans. Uh, yeah. But he tells them, he's just like, we don't need your record company. We're going to be like the Beastie Boys, but better. We're going to start an al- We're going to start a label and our own distribution network. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, if your manager's saying that, you should dump him immediately. <laughs> you know what's interesting though? It was I was talking to a friend uh, about this last night. This this uh, there's a major kind of uh, um, undercurrent in this episode, which is like something that I remember when I was a kid in music, which is sort of like this like uh, desire for like uh, authenticity and sort of like independence and like you know independent record labels versus major labels, and that's really a theme through this of like you know we're not going to sell out. We want to do our stuff. That's sort of gone now in music. Like this idea of like corporations, like corporations have taken over now. There's no difference between uh, an indie label and a major label. And no one has conversations about, you know, no one's like, uh, their early stuff was better before, before that label got involved. That just like doesn't happen now. It's, and it's interesting to see this little bit of a timestamp where that was still a conversation in music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back when, back when you had to be cool and credible with the kids by not selling out to the man. Yeah. And now everyone's sold out and everyone's fine with it. So that's just what it is. Everyone's fine. Yeah, well, people should get paid. Well, there's that. That's the other argument. Yeah. I mean, they're still not getting paid, but but teach their own. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Don't worry. Every, everything's is Everyone's attitude has changed, but uh, people who are making this stuff are still not getting money. It's There's uh, three people who are getting money. <laughs> Guns and Roses mostly, right? Yeah, that's right. For the reunion tour. <laughs> anyway, that that is the argument about it. It's like, are we going to go to a label? Are we going to stay yeah. independent? You know, Kate doesn't exactly, or Kat rather, doesn't exactly agree with the manager, but, you know, she's willing to follow his lead because she trusts him. And, like, at various points of the episode when she questions him, he, like, at some point throws their contract back in her face and says he'll, like, bury her in legal fees forever if she tries. He's he's a real, like, he real swings back between sweet and sour real quick, this manager. Yeah, it, it's funny when that scene happened because it didn't seem to have any real implications later on because I thought it was going to be a bit of a turn for her where, like, She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And maybe I'll do this. And he's like, if you do it, I'm going to like sue you and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's a real 
hard thing to walk back from but she was just later she's like yeah you're right i was like Ooh, i think that would that that would change my relationship with someone if they were threatening to destroy me legally no that's not what's happening in this show it's not about their band stuff it's about kate and the discovery of aliens that's right yeah gua if you will gua the gua wearing their husks anyway well Cade's out there trying to like win his way into this band and not having much success uh one of these uh some of these classic hacky sack youths in their bucket hats have uh, bootlegged <laughs> a concert by Sonic War and are listening to it on the street. And one of them goes a little crazy and attacks a shop owner. Yeah. And we and at this point, like you kind of get the idea. Uh, you sh- I shouldn't say kind of. You get the idea as a viewer because you've seen this before. It's very obvious. Um, and I kept hoping they were going to take it a, maybe a different turn with it, which they don't, which is. Clearly, the music is making people aggressive in in a way, and it's clearly aliens have affected the music. You just, like, they say that right off the bat, and it takes a while, maybe longer than it should for Cade to kind of catch up to where the viewer is. Well, he gets some idea, because I think he, at this point, happens to walk by this happening. He grabs one of the U's and roughs him up and says he's a cop, and he's just like, does the music make you angry? What's happening? I have a couple questions, though, for this. So we know that's what it's going to be, right? The music makes people angry. They get really aggressive, and, and uh, they fight, and... There's reasons why the aliens want that. The gua. But I have a couple questions for you. So essentially you go into like a trans of some sort, right? You get really aggressive. So do you get out of that later then? That's my first question, right? So if like you and I, I listen to music and I fight you after the music's done, like an hour later, I'm just, I'm not aggressive anymore, right? Like it wears off. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what we kind of see is like he'll go to a concert. He'll see the kids get a little angry. I think he like steals a tape from one of the kids. So he has like a copy of the bootleg that he can give to Eddie to analyze. Okay, so but if if uh, if you get angry, then you you like you feel better later. Do you feel weird about how you've acted and or or does the drug also or the the music also create like memory loss? Do you know what I mean? Worse than when you get drunk, I don't think. (laughs) Oh, I, I suppose. But, like, if you weren't drinking and stuff, you're like, wouldn't you be like, why was I doing that? Um, I don't know. I think, well, what they kind of say is he goes, he steals a tape from this kid. The kids all chase him because they're mad, but he gets away. And when he gives it to Eddie, they, like, do some analysis on it. And um, it's very funny. Eddie's like, I ran analysis on the tape. That's and there's right. a ninth layer. Typically, there's only eight layers on a demo. And I was like, what? He recorded it on a tape under his hat. Yeah, I know. I like that. It's like, it's like this wasn't a professionally like mixed sort of thing. It's someone who just recorded, and they're like, yeah. I mean, they have to have that line, right? That there's something extra in this uh, in the audio wave. So I'm like, yeah, okay. It's it's an alien. Sure, thing. why not? And it, you know, they're like, why is it only affecting kids? Because uh, you know, Cade was there and he didn't feel angry. And uh, I, my fa- one of my favorite lines of the episode, uh, Cade's like, get on the internet, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. And he does he because does. he looks up. He looks up that teenagers produce. I think it's androgen, is what they say, which is a uh, sex hormone that uh, that this music seems to stimulate and kind of put into overdrive. It makes people aggressive, right? Yeah. So I think to your point, Jordan, to your question rather, I think what it is is just like the kids get amped up when they're at a concert, and I think you know, I don't know if you remember being a teenager at a concert, but you can get amped up and do some things you might not like. You just get caught up in the moment. I think that's probably what happens. Is the kids like later come down, they're like, oof. Got really angry at that music there. Right, right. Okay. I mean, it works until the point where you're, like, beating someone to death. That That's a little more than we're like, oh, what a what a crazy night, huh? Remember when we beat that cop to death? Did you not have that happen when you were a kid? <laughs> I didn't grow up in the mean streets like you did. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's the idea they're playing with, is kids kind of get riled up by it. And, like, right. it's hard to tell the difference between an alien plot and just, like, 
kids getting a little too crazy. Okay, well, I have a second question then, Luke, and sorry to keep uh, throwing you off. But why, if this was the plan for the aliens to create, because obviously they want to create aggression, they want to, you'll see the plan gets bigger and bigger. Why would you not have just chosen a band who's already successful? That is a good question. They say they've been at this plan for years, which yeah. made me laugh a lot. Well, because I'm like, that makes sense because you keep trying to like break a band. I'm like, why not go grab, I don't know, Taylor Swift and and just get in there and add something to her music because everyone's going to listen to that crap anyway. <laughs> crap, Jordan. All right. Just what, 10 sorry. songs in the top 10, 100, I don't remember. You're right. That's a sign of quality. Um, yes. Put it in one of her top 10 songs. <laughs> Jordan, you're so funny. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't care. Whatever. Just, I'm just saying, take one of these successful people that people really like and everyone sort of listens to and just do that. I, I, I should be, in, I should be one of these gua. I got a much better business plan than they guys, these guys do. <laughs> but yes, this is, so this is it. It's, it's in the tape. There's a ninth, ninth layer to the thing where, it seems the aggression hits into and Cade is now just trying to keep, he keeps just trying to talk to this band and like, they're not interested in him. And the most you can kind of get out of them is that like, they admit the violence started when they got the new manager. And then they tell him the only thing that's really changed is that cat got a new guitar from uh, the manager when he joined them or something. Hmm, that's right. And like, it leads to a whole subplot where Cade thinks the guitar is evil, even though like, scenes before they found the ninth layer like that seems like a more likely suspect yeah it, that was weird right like i didn't know if it was like it just because they needed to extend the episode but he just kind of gets his decision is yeah it must be the guitar even though there's much more information showing it's not but i think part of it is it gives kate a scene where he can break into their studio and like overhear the manager saying we're gonna get this demo on local radio soon some college stations will play it and then we'll get more distribution like it's such a low stakes plan like you said literally like hopefully we can get some college play on this and then it'll get bigger it also doesn't make sense why like later on the whole thing is like it's gonna be him uh um what's the manager's name who knows whatever gua fake gua manager where like at one point like it's very important for him to record their live show and i'm like why why don't you just record this in the studio? You're just going to add your ninth layer anyways. I don't know why this is important. And he's like very upset when they're like not doing things the way he wants in the live show. And I was like, but it doesn't matter. This you're, You have an overall plan. It's not, the point is not to rile up these kids. You know that works. The point is to rile up as many as you, as you possibly can. So I don't know. I This 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 guy is just not very good. This guag guy is not it, very good. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, for some reason it needs to be a live demo so that he can live mix in that ninth layer into yeah, it. Yeah, it's like why? But then he also gets mad when she plays her new song because he's just like, that's not the song we planned to play. Yeah. Even though I'm just like, we'll just mix in the ninth layer to her new song. <laughs> I think they have, I think they've, what they're implying is, but it, it's not, um, it doesn't translate very well in the actual music that we as a viewer hear and see, which is, it's supposed to be that it was like uh, her sort of like quieter, uh, more introspective song. So you can't, you can't uh, uh, hide that extra layer of, of sound in there whereas with the loud stuff you can i think that's what they were implying but again the songs sound pretty much the same i remembered a little bit about her new song that she wrote that she was trying out which is probably why you liked it because it gives her so much indie cred jordan yeah yeah i did like it it was pretty good she says she's like i wrote this new song at a strip club the other day and i was like oh so alt <laughs> <laughs> she might have top 10 songs in the in the what did you call it the, the hot hot 300 or whatever people care about <laughs> At any rate, um, 
Cade does, as I said, sneak into the recording studio, overhear this plan to get the record out. And as he's poking around their equipment, trying to get a look at this guitar, the drummer walks in and catches him. And of course, when he looks at the drummer, old uh, Tyler Labine, his uh, face moves with tentacles under his skin. You're like, oh, there's two aliens in the band. What a turn. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's the only thing. I mean, your point earlier of like the record manager is so clearly bad. You're like, is he just going to be bad? It's like, yes, he's bad. But there's also another guy. And you do get hints of it the whole time because we haven't really talked about it. But throughout the episode, the band will kind of keep having discussions about, you know, this whole idea of like going corporate and signing to a major label and stuff. And the the bassist and uh, the uh, guitarist singer, Kat, they're sort of they keep kind of waffling back and forth. And the drummer's really pushing them like, no, no, we should do what we said we were going to do. We're going to sign to this major label. Yeah, he likes the angry music. He doesn't like the soft music. Yeah, which is what what the guy wants because he says it sells better. And I mean, to your point, actually, maybe this is his character over the manager, but uh, once we're the drummer's revealed, we get a scene where the drummer talks to the manager and the drummer's just like, we've been made. They know we're Gua. This guy's after us. He's coming to get us. And <laughs> the manager's like, no way. He's just a regular studio guy. He has no idea what's going on. I called his secretary. Everything's fine. Yeah. Well, he did. Yeah, he did. Or very early on, uh, he's like, he like he's he's talked to what was uh, what was uh, Cade's fake name in this again? Kenny Gaines? Kenny Gaines. <laughs> Anyways, he's like, I'll, gonna, I'll call Kenny Gaines on his, like, business card. He calls, and, of course, he gets put through to um, uh, Crazy Eddie, who, like, uses a voice modulator to pretend he sounds like... I like that he has to use a voice modulator so he sounds like a woman um, when he picks up the phone. I'm like, why couldn't it have been a man that picked up the phone? It's not like he knows Eddie. You, well, but, you couldn't be a secretary as a man. It doesn't make any sense. I know. I guess that was the point. I was like, okay, there's no need for that voice modulator. But anyways, he does it, and the guy's like, checks out. He's clearly a record executive. <laughs> anyway, Cade goes to that big live show where they're going to record the demo that night, and uh, he tries to, like, warn Kate before she goes on stage. She's like, I think the guitar is causing the violence. And I was just like, okay, sure. I don't know why you think that, but okay. Yeah. And you know what's funny? On this episode, Cade... Uh, for all intents and purposes, is doing what he usually does. He's sort of, like, investigating and stuff. But it seems like most of this sort of takes care of itself. Like, he's just kind of walking around. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like he um, he doesn't really push the action at all. Like, he talks to them a couple times, but they're like, eh, uh, I don't think we'll go with you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like he didn't need to be there. He really doesn't even really come out and say what he's up to until, I think, right at the scene where he's kind of like, uh, the violence is, I'm here investigating the violence. I'm not a record producer. It's It maybe is in your guitar. And basically what it is, is I guess this is why I said the guitar, because it makes for a good scene where Cat uh, gets up there. She starts playing her music for the crowd. The like teens are getting really violent and like they're just punching each other in the face and bleeding all over the floor. And Cat's uh, finally, even though she plays, I would say, 95% of that song before she decides to stop, <laughs> she finally does stop and smash the guitar. <laughs> I like it. She smashes the guitar and she says into the microphone, we are through. I was like, cool. But because uh, the manager's up in the uh, catwalk mixing live, uh, that ninth track doesn't stop playing. So the kids just keep beating each other up. And uh, Kate just like, it wasn't the guitar. It was the ninth track all along. Yeah, it was like, it was that thing that clearly was the problem. Oh. Anyway, it leads to Cade going up to the catwalk. Classic exactly. catwalk fight. We love seeing him. Yeah, he goes up, um, and I think uh, so far Kate, Cade's record of fighting is like six and zero. Oh. Like he's oh, never... he always wins, my friend. He yeah, never, he's he never does he's a take finishing a blow though. He always like I think in this time the manager falls off the side of of it into the mosh pit, and you literally watch the kids 
Uh, stomp him into goo. Stomp an alien to goo. I know. I was like, well, that's something. <laughs> yeah. And then so then Kate turns off the sound and they all like essentially stop fighting, which is what made me kind of think I'm like, because it was so sudden that I'm like, do all these kids remember what they just did? Do you know what I mean? Like they all kind of just stopped. I do believe you kind of hear like some like background audio because I think you see some kids looking at the ground where uh, old uh, manager used to be and they're like, what happened to him? Right. Yeah, that's right. They're like, he, yeah, he got out and then Cade's like, aliens. Anyway, Cade destroys the ninth track and it kind of closes off the episode with Kate. He takes Kat aside and like kind of gives tells her like, don't give up on your dreams. The talent was yours, not not the, uh, how do you pronounce it? Gua? Gua? Gua. It wasn't the Gua who gave you the talent. And like he's like telling talking to her about this stuff. Like she has to start from square one. I'm just like she still has literally all the notoriety she had. She's fine. Yeah, she's fine. And it's like they they were hoping to get like some like indie buzz. They've got that. They yeah, just yeah. they just they just stomped a manager to death. I was gonna talk about that. I mean, between the cops and the manager, like you're you're gonna be in the news. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, they'll be fine. And. uh Final little scene. They get a little, you need a little button at the end of the episode, and that button is uh, the drummer got away. And what you see is he's moved to Cincinnati, and he's putting up a poster. He's a he's a professional drummer looking for a new band. So this whole evil music plan isn't over yet. <laughs> it's not over yet. They're gonna have they're gonna start again from the bottom with another band who's just like learning their chords. I'm like <laughs> all right, all right, sure, start it this way. This will come back, right? There'll be another episode about this, right? <laughs> well, it's, no, it's gonna it's gonna be like six years from now before they finally get their demo ready. I did have a couple thoughts though, and just over general in the show, and I, I instead of just kind of waiting to the end, it's before we get to the next episode because, man, oh man, Luke, was I angry with this next episode? I I can't tell you. I knew I, you I, would I, be. I I knew we would feel differently about it, but I I I won't even start. But like overall, in the, the show, there there's this idea that. Um, I wish they maybe leaned into a little bit more, but like this idea that there's like one person and you have to decide what these prophecies mean. Cause there's something interesting there, but like, again, even at this point we've watched like three episodes. Right. And it's just like, they're perfunctory. He's like, uh, uh Nostradamus talked about sound. Anyways, it's an episode where kids get aggressive. You're like, okay. Like, isn't there something more about Cade and he can only really be at one place at one time with like almost non-existent resources. You know what I mean? Like, he has to try to create this resistance and he has nothing. Um, but what we get is this kind of just like floating around. Like, I don't feel like his actions have any real consequences. Like they just reset after each episode. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he's building anything. So there's no, there's no real stakes or nothing seems important. Like his decisions don't carry any real weight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's essentially the littlest hobo. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. And it's just like, it just, I think there's something kind of a little disappointing in it. Like even think the first episode, his wife was killed which should have jump-started a series of, like, life-changing events, right? But you don't feel that at all. It's not like that has any effect on it at all. He's just like, yeah, Nostradamus. Anyways, like, but what was the significance of his wife dying? Was there any point to it? Like, there's no, like, there's no personal risk for him, right? You know, so he just ends up being this cardboard cutout. He's just on the run from the law now. He can never settle down, Jordan. I, I know, but, like, but are you invested in his journey at all? You know? Yeah, he's got to stop the first wave. I don't know. I just think I think there's there's like uh, the bones for something interesting here, but the the format they want to use, I think, isn't the best vehicle for actually telling an interesting story. Is maybe the way to say it. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And I mean, I think to your more particular point, it's just like the whole Nostradamus prophecies guiding him to the next adventure. It's 
tenuous to how they tie to an ongoing alien invasion and how Notre Dame is predicted. Like, if this were a show about um, the devil or, like, some great evil that comes around once every thousand years that Notre Dame wrote about, that's a better tie together than just, like, a very highly evolved, uh, like, uh, technologically advanced alien races invading Earth also, we have these weird, like, lyrical quadrants from Nostradamus, and somehow those help. Like, it's a, it's, it's a bad... They don't mesh together well as two ideas. Yeah. And it feels like the writers even know that, right? Because, like, they, like, just at the very, very beginning, they'll do a voiceover of, like, oh, Nostradamus said this. Anyways, let's get to the episode. Like, it's like they have to throw it in, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's just, like, it acts as a little device off the top, and it is every episode a bit of a stretch how that quatrain is going to relate to this and how on earth it would like happen and how he would know and like you know this one at least was a little more specific than most of them but Mm. like yeah it's it's a bit of a mess for sure but i would take that over anything uh any anything i would take over this episode 22 the decision all right here's the imdb summary for season one episode 22 the decision We'd be foolish to overlook his example. What example, Joshua? The other 116 subjects crumbled. Doesn't that figure into your statistical calculations? The others don't concern me. What does concern you, Joshua? If one out of every 117 humans is a Cade Foster, we'll face a fighting force far stronger than we're prepared to deal with. What? The time has come. The Gua Council meets to decide if the time is right to start the second wave, the full military invasion. It seems inevitable, except for one lone voice of dissent. One Gua has doubts and concerns about Foster. Mm. Uh, Let me say this right off the bat. If this was just a bottle episode, I think it would be pretty interesting. Because there's this, you have this concept of like, basically what we're getting at right off the bat is you're going to realize... These are a bunch of aliens in human form that are having essentially like a political uh, bureaucratic discussion as to what they should be doing. And there's something interesting because you're going to get a lot of terms and a lot of um, uh, ideas and you're going to see that they're not they don't they don't all act. um, It's not a hive mind. They all have independence. They all have different thoughts and how they their process work. That's all kind of interesting. Unfortunately, this is a clip show. Yes, in a bizarre turn of events, the first season finale is also a clip show, which has to be a first for us or maybe for the world. I can't imagine any other series doing a clip show as your last episode. It almost felt like they were like, okay, well, the season's ending. We want to keep people excited and remind them everything they liked about the show so they'll keep watching for season two. But I just think, I just don't think this was um, an effective way of doing this at all. I just think, I, I hated this episode. I hated it. Hated it, hated it, hated it. Here's what I kept thinking the entire time. I was like, imagine you've just done the first season of your television series. You're the lead actor. You're the only one in the main credits. You get the script for the final episode. You're not in it. You have no part. You don't come to work that week. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even think about that. You're absolutely right. Because the only the only new parts they film are these uh, Gua in this this room, you know, your classic, like, big round table that's lit because they're making evil decisions. And most of this episode, actually, I would say a good 10 of this 45 minutes is just stuff from the pilot, just re-showing the pilot. I so, will say yeah, that. You're... I have that note written down here. And they'll do a recap of the pilot that goes for 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was really long, really, really long. It's not, like, that's the thing. It's not just, like, a clip show. It's, like, 
a review of major points of the season, but they don't just like mention it. They just show the episode. Well, it's funny because uh, we'll get into it in a second, but like very early on, they do the review of the pilot, which is 11 minutes of the 40 minute (laughs) runtime. And it's because it's serialized, but not heavily serialized. So all the important information you needed was provided in the pilot. So that eats up most of the uh, clip show. Mm hmm. Yeah, which is weird because again, when we when we're watching it the way we have, we we watched the first episode that I called the episodes. Now we're watching this. I'm like, I'm just rewatching the first episode again because most of this is just the pilot. I will say this though, Jordan, and I know you hated it, which is fine. It's very reasonable. It, I, it's an insane thing to do with the television series for this to be your final first season episode. But uh, for our purposes, for the purposes of two people who have watched four episodes of a 20-episode season, it was kind of nice to get a, like, a real... I didn't have to watch all the episodes. I could have just went season episode one and come right to here and got most of the plot right. of season one. You're right. And, and they, they just basically skim over and go, here's the important parts, which, which is all fine. I'll, I'll, give them, I'll give them points for that. And there is some interesting little bits of uh like we'll, we'll find it with the three divisions of the aliens and all this well, sort of, there's, you want to talk some about stuff that in there yeah of course yeah like what we do learn and the parts that kind of are fun about the episode which what you're saying i think the bottle episode might have worked better is uh-huh. I, I we don't know what's happened a lot this season but this does this episode does give us a nice look at the inside of the gua mind at what the guas are up to yeah, you exactly. finally kind of get a sense of what's happening without cade and well, yeah, like you said, there's three divisions of the Gua on Earth running this invasion. It's the Acolytes, the Empiricists, and the Osmosisists. Yeah, the Osmosis made me laugh because it just like, you got the Empiricists who clearly, I guess, are people out uh, doing studies and trying to, uh, uh, basing their uh, their decisions on results. And then there's the Osmosis who I guess are just sitting around taking everything in. <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, I just like that they just wrote these things. I'm like, uh, okay, how does that work? But anyways, there's three divisions. And these three divisions have been called together because the head of the Gua back on the Gua homeworld, he has a bit of political problems back home. The movement has started. Uh, that it's calling for peace because the Asia- invasion seems like it's too costly. And they wa- they kind of want to, not sure they want to move forward. So the homeworld has some turmoil, apparently, about this whole invasion plan. Yeah, um, and it's there's all arguments really about the feasibility of an attack. Like, how possible it is, how, how is it worth it for them? Which I like, but, like, maybe they should have had this conversation before, I don't know, you infiltrated every level of government and organization in the world in every country. Maybe have this conversation before. You know, it's political, Jordan. It's the movements. The people are fickle. In four decades, they say at this point, they've been here for four decades doing experiments. Yes, they've been they've been in on Earth for four decades. They've performed 1,800 experiments in four decades, which doesn't seem like enough. I agree. I thought they did that many on just those 117 people at the first episode. <laughs> but basically what they, the head of the Gua has asked the first wave sort of forces on Earth to basically get together, make a decision. Is it time to start the invasion or not? Like he needs to know what's going to happen. So they're kind of there to have this conversation and maybe have a vote. And uh, it seems like they're all down with it. But there's a, there is this lone objector. Uh, Gua named Joshua steps out and says he believes that um, there's more to be said and they're not ready for an invasion yet. Yeah. And now I couldn't tell, and because we haven't watched the episodes, I couldn't tell if Noah is going to be um, uh, sort of someone who's like a turncoat, like he starts working with humans um, later on, or if this is just, he's just that character who he's just someone who's a little bit trepidatious about stuff. Uh, I have a feeling he's going to become um, a bit of a, 
um, ally in some ways to Cade. I don't know if that's that's how it's going to be, but that's my feeling with with how they've sort of introduced him here. Yeah, do you well, get Joshua, the same feeling? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a sense you're kind of getting for sure. He doesn't seem like he's exactly turned against his own kind. It seems like he's more concerned for his own kind, but like yeah. He's just not a, as war-hungry as maybe he once was. So Joshua apparently was introduced in the second episode of the series, so we didn't see that. And of the episodes we watched, he hadn't appeared in any of them, but he's in seven episodes of the first season. So he's actually quite an integral recurring character in the first season. Right. Um. Hey, and let me just uh, mention, here's here's my actual word-for-word note um, that I'm taking at this point. I go, they're discussing Cade. Haha, why are they showing stuff from the pilot again? Wait, is this a clip show? Dear Lord, it is. This is all from the pilot. That that's my note I made. <laughs> a realization happening at, in real time <laughs> yeah, as I was doing it live. Yeah. And Joshua's argument here is he's, it's basically making a um, debate club. He's going to debate another member of the council, and he basically believes that because they've met Kay, that there's there's going to be it's going to be too high a cost to do this. Like the Earthlings are far more likely to defend themselves than they yeah. first thought. Yeah, because the 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 woman who speaks first. And I'm sorry, I never caught her name. Uh, she sort of is the other side of the argument. She's like, let's go. And she's like, we know that we've been here for now 40 years, which seems like a long time to have just having this conversation again. But she's like, we know they can't defend against us. They just don't have it. He sort of makes the point. He's like, look, if one out of every hundred people is like Cade, then your numbers are wrong because you, you're you you're not um, uh, considering these outliers that are going to uh, create a bigger problem than you originally thought. That's his. That's his point. Well, and to her point, though, she does use uh, multimedia presentations where she Oh, says, my gosh. Made me laugh. Where she pulls up and she's like, if they're so strong, how did we take... Like, she says, we are the ones who got the Rodney King verdict to cause the L.A. riots. L.A. I was riots, like, yeah. Oh, my God. You're not going to this, are you? They caused the Yugoslavian War. Uh-huh. And the Heaven's Gates cult suicides were also because of the Gua. Yeah. And I was like, oh... Okay, well, he, he, well, there's a couple things. One, can you imagine those were the episodes that, like, Cade was, like, involved in? I mean, that's like, ooh, all right, guys. But also, it's funny that they were doing those things, but the things that Cade, are do- Cade is doing is he's stopping an independent band from uh, making, like, 40 kids angry. <laughs> I, I know. It was so bizarre. It was so bizarre to take credit for those in your series. I'm like, your series isn't serious enough for you to talk about those things. <laughs> They also mentioned that Cade has a website, and they're like, what if people start reading his website? Well, that's Joshua's That's Joshua's counter-argument when she says, yeah. we start the Yugoslavian War. Joshua's just like, yes, but Cade's website <laughs> is getting followers. <laughs> I believe he calls it an internet website, actually. An internet website, yeah, yeah. And we, we also learned right now that Eddie Eddie was the writer originally for Paranoid Times. Yeah, that's that's the website they're referring to because we get a clip show. And not even a clip show. We get like a tiny section where we see the first time he meets Eddie. And he's like, I'm the publisher of the Paranoid Times. Also, Eddie has a acute paranoid disorder. Yeah, I think that's why they call him Crazy Eddie. He's just like, yeah, I don't know, he's paranoid. I don't know. But he has a sword. Do you remember he has a sword and he says it killed Lincoln? And he's like, Lincoln was, wasn't <laughs> killed with a sword. And he's like... It didn't he? And I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> and it was just one of those weird throwaway things of like, I don't understand. Anyway. It's really weird to see like a quick shot. I mean, it was nice to know how he met Crazy Eddie. We didn't get to see it. So it was nice to see it. It's true. And we also get to see the human husks hanging in like a tube. Yes. They, they show us a flashback to the episode where they discovered where the human husks uh, are made in a laboratory. And this comes up because I believe Joshua says that Cade killed 13 guas this season. <laughs> Pretty good numbers. 
No, not bad. I mean, there's only like what twenty two episodes. That's nearly a Guan episode. You know what I like though is that um, Cade throughout the show is using Nostradamus uh, those prophecies to sort of like be his um, guide right through to to find the aliens. But then they mentioned that the aliens, the Gua, have oracles, and they predicted the one who I guess is Cade, who's going to stop them. I'm like, whoa, are they just acting on prophecies as well? The two of them are just having like conflicting prophecies. No, I think that's the case. It's very funny because they're like, we got to get that Nostradamus book away from it. It's really hurting our plans. They're like, what about our oracles who said Cade would come along and stop us? I was like, what is happening? I know. It was, it's, that's the funny thing about this for clip show. There's a lot of information they're dropping in. And maybe, maybe it was stuff that we heard, you would have heard along the way if we'd watched all the episodes, but just watching it now, I'm just like, what is happening? This is a lot of stuff. It's a lot of backstory. I did like they, they, they finally name what the three waves are, or at least the two waves we don't know about. So there's wave one, the one they're in right now, which I don't know, secret secret infiltration. I have no idea. Wave two is, a, according to Astramus, is invasion from above. Mm-hmm. And then wave three is Armageddon? <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Like, I don't understand. Aren't they... Didn't they say when the invasion happens, 19 million people will die? So, like, that's just wave two? So, like, what is wave three? <laughs> they kick them when they're down. It's like they're kicking that cop. <laughs> there's there's another clip where uh, they, they they do it to show, like, I think it was Joshua's arguments, like, about Cade's resourcefulness. And um, they're like, remember that time that he entered our pocket dimension we created to trap people's cars? I was like, wait, What? <laughs> Yeah, he, he entered the quantum pocket. It was one of the few times I was like, oh, I would have watched that episode. It's so funny, but they're like, the plan was they like created it as an experiment to see how many cars they could trap in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. Why not? I will say, though, when you see the episode, it's 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 Cade in the pocket trying to save some people who got trapped in there. And it looks like the Langoliers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It does, huh? It's just like an empty world with this yeah, sort of yeah. idea. And I'm just like, this would be a Langoliers episode, wouldn't it? Mm. Anyway, the debate continues for the invasion. The The woman who's, deba- who's debating the side of pro-invasion, uh, she says one of my favorite things, too. She's just like, quote, the sexual power of our Gentech bodies is strong. And then says, we've literally slept our way to the top. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's they. She doesn't even just imply. She like outright says that the aliens are just like yeah, sleeping their way to the top. And th- there's there's a bunch of weird things they drop. Is like one that it goes on to say. I think Joshua makes the argument how it's actually a problem because the aliens are getting addicted to sex. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's new. Yeah, no, the aliens seem to like sex a lot, and um, they they. <laughs> They talk about this a little because uh, part of the counter argument to the sex thing is they're like, we can sleep right at the top. We'll get Kate eventually with our sexiness. And they show a clip <laughs> of how, and you brought this up earlier, but like they go to a clip show and for, they don't give any explanations. But like, remember that time Kate was in New York City fighting the earworms? I think they called them like yeah. neuro earworms or something. And we see like a worm going to uh, climbing out of a man's ear, but they give no further explanation to the worm thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, they looked a little bit like Star Trek too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, but remember when he was fighting those earworms? And also that episode, we turned his financial ally when we tried to turn her into one of us. We tried to make a clone of her <laughs> so that we could <laughs> trick him into having sex with her and ruin their relationship. It was just like, I'm like, it explains how he's paying for everything. But it's this weird scene where he like, walks oh, into right, a room yeah. and there's two of the same woman. He's like, and they're both like, I'm the real Susan. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't believe, again, we missed that episode. That's your, that's your classic sci-fi thing. Where someone's doubled and the other person has to has to decide which one's the real one. 
But the point of Joshua bringing up this flashback is just like, and he wouldn't have sex with her. So that's how we cannot use sex to stop him. Yeah. He wasn't attracted to this one person. But as you said, the Guar having trouble with temptation, which leads to another clip show. Uh, this time we see a weird show where Joshua goes to talk to the leader of a cult. He's like a Gua who's like started a cult where the experiment is to see if they can get humans to worship Gua's gods. But this like cult leader messed up his experiment and he just got them to be afraid of Gua like the devil. So then Joshua shoots him in the chest. I don't I was like, what is this episode? Yeah, and it was weird that they they uh, they showed that too because they just mentioned that they like the Heaven's Gate thing. So I was like, didn't they already do that plan? Yeah, and also at no point does Kate show up in that clip. So I'm just like, what is this episode? Like, it doesn't seem like Kate has any role in this episode because Joshua was the only one like dealing with it. Yeah, I th- I think it's probably when they introduce Joshua as a major character. I think he does have an ep. There is an episode rather of the show called Joshua. So maybe Joshua just had his own episode at some point. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I have to say? Of all these clips, um, this next episode they show with the ionized salt is the funniest thing I've I've seen in some time. Like, it's just, it's so dumb, and it makes so little sense for them invading Earth that it just, like, you got to give them a point. Yeah, well, that was a, that's the second clip about their temptation, is that it turns out Gua DNA reacts to, negatively to iodized salt, as the man we see in the clip show says, the Gua in the clip show says, it's as good as heroin to Gua. So it's just a Gua snorting salt in a like a house full of like addicts. And he's just like, you don't understand. I love salt. Yeah. And it's like later. And it's just like later on, like Joshua comes and like grabs a guy and the guy like drops and he's just like dropping salt packets out of his hand. It made me laugh and laugh. It's so dumb. It's unbelievable. I know. I, I'm hoping this comes back where just like they constantly have to like not eat salt it's such a wild choice well, it shouldn't, that should be what Kate just keeps always taking someone to dinner and he's like do you want salt with that and they're like no he's like alien and shoots them that's it every episode I do like he uh, Joshua again we don't see Kate in this flashback at all all we see is Joshua's side of it and Joshua has an assault rifle that he hunts this man through this drug den full of people who are also yeah. high on real drugs and like blows him away with an assault rifle in the middle <laughs> that's right yeah Oh, but I should say the guy also throws salt in his eyes and he's like, ah, salt. It just was so dumb. <laughs> if we ever go back, that's the episode we have to watch. I think that might be a different clip show because I think the next clip show we see is the clip show of the time Cade found the gua that killed his wife and got his revenge. And it's some like oh, that's right. cop gua or something. And I think that's how he gets the upper hand is Cade throws salt in his eyes. And then that's like, right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I, that's a, it's a it's a good way to always win a fight. Salt in the eyes. It was nice to see, though. We didn't watch the episode. We had just heard about it in the hospital episode that, that Kate had got revenge. And now I know how he got it. So I, I've got everything I need. You are right. Really, you could have just watched the first episode, last episode of the season. You go, yeah, I pretty much get it all. I did like, though, in that flashback to the when he killed the guy who killed his wife, they clearly brought the actress who played the wife back for that episode to like That's right. show what happened to her when we weren't with her and how she died. And it's the worst. They just shot... This poor actress, they just put her in the, in a white room, pointed the camera at her, and they're like, just talk like they're going to kill you. And she's just like, okay. And her whole thing is she's just like, if you kill me, Cade will never stop. He'll keep coming for you. And I was just like, that's not how she's like in the pilot at all. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. You basically get all this so that they can each get um, this, uh, uh, the female person speaking and the male person speaking. Again, I know his name is Joshua. I didn't catch her name. And they basically make like, a big final argument. I was like, oh, is this like, 
this is just set up like court or something so they can like both make their final argument and then they can all vote and them voting was one of my favorite things because they basically both make their like closing arguments and then everyone votes by standing up and saying uh they like put their hand out and the earth appears i think it's earth it's like a glowing digital ball and then they put their hand out either in a fist or a palm and if they put their fist out they're like attack and the ball goes the earth goes red and if they say don't attack they put their like palm up like stop and uh it goes blue and i, I actually said i was like this is a pretty good visual and interesting thing to look at unfortunately it's a stupid clip show <laughs> yes and you know because it's a season finale the aliens all vote attack or uh don't attack i guess those are your options yeah. and yeah. um they joshua and his debate partner are like oh, it's all down to one vote what will it be and then it's just like end episode <laughs> end episode yeah they have like the final guy who i guess is like the mediator or the leader it's not clear who he is but yeah, he's the deciding vote and they just end on him they we go to black and i'm like oh the stakes have never been higher I mean, it was very funny. It was like they know they needed a cliffhanger to bring you back next week, next next year, especially after they gave you a clip show at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I just it's such an odd choice to finish the season with. But clearly there was a reason. And maybe it was just a I, I don't know to remind you of what you'd watched. It just it seems odd. There's so many better ways they could have done it. I do think it's probably the case where it's just like they were getting to the end of the season it's not a very serialized show, but there are serialized elements. And, you know, maybe they're worried that people haven't seen every episode. And they're hoping this is at least a way for people who've missed a few episodes to get caught up and, like, do that. Right. Like, it's, but it is a weird choice. Like, imagine you were enjoying the show. You were really excited about it. And you turned in for the last episode. And this is what you got. I think I'd be furious if I was, like, a person enjoying this show. Yeah. And, again, like, if you're enjoying the show, it's probably because, uh, uh, right or wrong, you find the actor or the character Cade engaging or charismatic and you like watching his adventures. And that's not really what this is, but you know, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this. We're in an age where I don't think clip shows exist anymore. I mean, maybe there's a sitcom or two on TV that still do this sort of thing, but I remember being a kid and watching a TV show. And when a clip show came on, I was furious. I was like, I've waited all week for my show and it's a clip show. It's like, I just drive me crazy. And I just, I, that was the feeling I had watching this again. I was like, I'm having to sit down, and this is what you're giving me? I'm giving more effort than you guys. <laughs> it really was from a time and place in television. Yeah, exactly. Also, I also find funny, because we've seen this before, but first season clip show, it's a real real ballsy move. Yeah, it's a real sign that things are not going well, I think. So you haven't had enough episodes for me to be looking forward to seeing nostalgically old clips. What would have been great is if it was clips from stuff that... Um, they actually shot new stuff. It's like other adventures we'd never seen. Then it would have been, I would have been cool with it. Do you know what I mean? It was like, this time Kate did this, but stuff episodes, they just created their own uh, in-episode uh, kind of adventures to kind of widen the world. And I'd be that, that would have been cool, but they just didn't do that. Imagine Jordan, they like shooting this clip show. They get to the last day. It's the final episode of the first season. They haven't got picked up by America yet for 66 more episodes. They're just like, great job, everybody. Let's go. Let's go to the wrap party. Let's celebrate doing this one season we did. We may never get another one. No one remembered to tell Cade because he wasn't there that day. He missed the whole party. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Poor Cade. What's the actor's name again? Hold on. It's, uh, it's uh, Sebastian Spence. Great name. Almost yeah. as good as Foster Cade or Cade Foster. Could go either way. And uh, Kate Foster's good, but you like, uh, what was the name of the record executive again? Kenny Gaines. Kenny Gaines. Yeah, yeah. Give me a whole show about Kenny Gaines, record producer. <laughs> yeah. You want some gains? Call Kenny Gaines. I don't know. That's the best I got. <laughs> well, that's something. 
Let him take the reins. It's Kenny Gaines. Ah, there you go. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, John, you want to write these? Yeah, sure. All right. How did you feel about Melody? Which, to be fair, should have been called Bitter Melody, like the Quatrain. You're right. Better better title. Um, You know what's funny? Is it a great episode? No. Like, I kind of wish it took a couple turns that I didn't see coming. It sort of just is like a paint-by-numbers of what you think this episode is going to be. But I have to say, this show has a little bit of charm to it. It's fast. It's always entertaining. Um, so I'm still going to give it a six out of ten. Six out of ten. Yeah. Yeah. I felt I felt the drag. This one. This was a real wheel spinner of an episode at times. A lot of like going back and forth, trying to convince the band to listen to Kenny Gaines, and then being like not interested, <laughs> and then him like, being yeah. like, oh, okay, well, I'll come back later and try again. But it was a real capture of the music of the time. Like I was still very surprised by the music and how it sounded, yeah. and like it was really more effort than I would have expected from a show like this. Um, so I, I'm gonna give I'm gonna go right up to a five. I think not a lot better than that, but a five. I, I think you're you're probably I think it's probably somewhere between us between a five and a six. It's it's not a great episode, but I think the show, at least at least the show, like even in these kind of not great episodes, it still moves at a pretty good clip. All right, what about the decision? I hated it. One out of ten. <laughs> One out of ten. Hated it. It is very funny. It's so funny to do this clip show. It was useful for our purposes, having not watched the first season. Yeah, I, but like, I would agree with that. Wildly insane. I'll say this. I liked some of the like canon backstory stuff they gave me. I was happy to have it. Um, I didn't mind that Joshua guy. I actually kind of I didn't was either. interested in that character. I think he's doing a lot with a little, that actor. Like He's really giving a weird... like He never feels like he's going to betray his race of aliens... But you can see a real conflict that no one, none of these other Gua have, which I thought was very interesting. That's why I think he's going to be a character later on in the show because I, I get that sort of like uh, uh, he's wrestling with the two worlds, and I think I think it's an interesting character that the show could use, and also the show could use some more regular characters. Um, but 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 in service of what a clip show? It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it makes me curious about what his other seven episodes were like. Like, if mm. I'm like, what, what's this character? He's clearly growing more than anyone else on the show. Definitely growing more than Cade or Crazy yeah. Eddie. Yeah, fair enough. But to that point, I'm I'm only going to give it a two. Yeah, not great. Bizarre. It's a bizarre choice. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's so funny because I was so in on the first scene. I was like, oh, this is awesome. We're really getting all this backstory and all the alien stuff. And as soon as they started playing that 10 minute clip from the pilot, I was like. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! Is this what I'm doing with my night? <laughs> I will give it this though. It made the episode go by fast because I did not have to pay much attention. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this episode. So, uh, if you would like more First Wave, because we haven't covered much of it, obviously, we're mm-hmm. now done the first season. We've covered four of 22 episodes, 18 whole episodes unwatched. You can get us to watch them. You can force us to watch more First Wave. Uh, Pick by that salt donating episode. To bonus episodes for charity. Hmm. Yeah. Or, or it could be any show. It doesn't have to be a first wave. Oh, that's true. You could do, you could do anything we haven't finished watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But first wave, you know. No examples? Uh, oh, uh, I always say you no know, because I know we didn't finish a Threshold. So that's always my go-to. You could watch Threshold or you could watch uh, Cork or Mrs. Noah. Did we watch all of Mrs. Noah? I think we watched all. Mm, you know what? There might be more Mrs. Noah. No, mm, I think we watched it all. I can't decide. Yeah. Anyways, there's, a, there's other series, but yeah, there's episodes there we didn't watch. Make us watch them. Yeah, yeah, we just watched uh, Tech War. We just watched an episode of Tech War. That's right, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, uh, the uh, wonderful listener Ryan, who did that charity bonus episode, he <laughs> made a good point that um, he made a great donation to uh, the Annex Toronto Cat Charity, 
uh, and he was just like, you should tell your American listeners uh, the Canadian dollar sucks, so $50 is like nothing to us. <laughs> That's a very good point. And he made a great point. I'm like, oh, you're right. You We're giving this away for free, basically. If you're American, it's play money. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was 75 cents on the dollar. At any rate, you can make a donation uh, by going to our website. We've got a list of charities as picked up by our listener or by our uh, past guests. Pick an episode from a series we watched but didn't finish. You can go to the website, find all the information there. Or uh, if you have any questions, just email me, continuandrag.gmail.com. I'll explain the whole thing to you in a more cohesive way. And then, of course, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're going to have clips of these shows, some some stuff from music to clip shows i mean we get to show some clips from uh, all kinds of other episodes we didn't watch so that's true once you break it down to instagram this is a pretty good episode you'll get to see all the clips of a clip show mm-hmm. salt 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 um and that of course the handle on those places is at continuum drag um but that wraps it up for this episode so listener thank you for joining us and jordan i'll see you next week see you then did we get to watch a bit of quantum pocket Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>